Hello, and welcome to this edition of Secure Networks, the Endace Packet Forensic Files, with your host, Michael Morris. This week's special guest is Travis Rossig, CTO and Stra Strategy Officer for Blue Vector, a Comcast company. Travis, thank you for joining us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Hey, pleasure to be here, Michael. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've uh, been in the cybersecurity space for about 20 years. I uh, was recruited on a scholarship uh, from the uh, US Department of Defense about 20 years ago. Um, you know, uh, the government realized there was a major shortage of cybersecurity SMEs within um, the, the military ranks and uh, government, and they were on a, uh, a proactive approach to um, recruit folks from, from uh, industry and as well as um, through universities around the country. Uh, so I was in the, um, the, the first year or the, the, uh, the guinea pig group for the program. Uh, they ended up recruiting several hundred um, cybersecurity SMEs in, into the government. So I spent about 10 years um, as a government employee working across um, pretty much all aspects of cybersecurity, uh, incident response, uh, program management, red teaming, um, you know, analytics, compliance, uh, policy, training, uh, you, you name it. Um, a lot of fun, uh, mm -hmm. spent a lot of time, uh, you know, exploring, solving problems. After about 10 years, you know, kind of wanted to have a change of pace. So I have spent about the last 10 years in industry, okay. um, working on the product side, trying to taking the, the institutional knowledge of that again from the government space, studying the root cause and gaps of problems, uh, and really trying to get um, companies and, and startups uh, really focus on on solving those problems and, and bringing that technology to market to ultimately you know help um, customers be more successful. Excellent, Travis. Your background is is just stellar for this conversation, which is why I'm so excited to have you. So with your with your years of experience and with all the changes going on today, what do you see as the state of cybersecurity today? So I think you know, kind of glasses half full or half empty. Um, sadly, in the cybersecurity space, I, I feel it's half empty probably too often. <laughs> um, you know, I think the our, our society is a very um, impatient society. It's very much feature first. Um, unfortunately, security isn't really built into many products. So, you know, industry through a competitive nature rushes capabilities out to market without ultimately building in cybersecurity into the product for fear of getting to market too late, um, which, you know, ultimately, you know, more features e equals more chances to make uh, vulnerabilities, which, uh, you know, with um, looking at cybercrime and, and, you know, nation states and, and international, um, you know, espionage of core IP and things like that, it it's, creates a huge problem, right? And a big attack surface. So from, from that, uh, from that, um, you know, that, that's kind of the state of the challenge and, and kind of why we're in the predicament we are um, as a society. Uh, from an organizational perspective, public and private, the, the last 20 years, have, organizations have really been very reactive. Mm -hmm. um, so most of the security programs are very re reactive in nature. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, there's a there's a very heavy focus on compliance and checkbox type of security. Yes. Uh, and there's a lot of, I guess, um, politics or, or 
bureaucracy and actually evolving that, right? So it's been really stale. Unfortunately, that, that works to the cyber adversary's advantage. So I, I kind of use the analogy, um, you know, the state of cybersecurity uh, from a reactive perspective is, is, you know, think of you're driving a car on, on a road mm -hmm. um, and you're trying to avoid potholes, but you're trying to avoid potholes by only being able to look through the rearview mirror. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, That's so in a the cyber analogy. Realm, you know, it's called like victim zero. Yeah. Uh, so whoever's in the, the first car in the line, you know, is going to hit the pothole and then they tell everybody else where to avoid a pothole. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's pretty much, you know, the way cybersecurity has been the last 20 years. Um, and it's really much, let's find something that's bad. Somebody feels the brunt of the pain. They share those insights and everybody shares the signatures um, in seconds, minutes, hours or days. Right. It, it's, it's, it's this huge challenge to get that information out broadly. Some networks are air-gapped or other things that it really um, uh, really is a slow process. So uh, in essence, it's a very reactive model, um, a lot of inefficiencies in that process. Mm -hmm. And you know, adversaries know the compliance requirements. They know where what things should be in place. Unfortunately, they know most organizations, that's pretty much their benchmark. So they know exactly um, where the gaps are, right? Mm -hmm. So assuming that most organizations are only compliant, you know, they, they kind of know where to go between, you know, policies, guidelines, you know, things like that. So they, they, they leverage those gray areas uh, for their advantage. No, that's, that's, I love that analogy. That's an excellent uh, state <laughs> of things. What are some things you see missing from security strategies considering all the major changes happening in networking and security, especially as a result of the massive shift to remote workforces? Yeah, I, you know, again, I kind of goes back to my um, earlier comment. It's really around feature first, this let's innovate, get things to the market quickly, mm -hmm. and then let's figure out the security aspect later, right? So um, there's this in inherent pressure to, to implement technology rather quickly, uh, but not a lot of focus on where are those gray areas that might be created that the adversaries can can leverage and you know exploit for for some period of time. Mm -hmm. um, so you know there is we've kind of seen a little bit of that with the rapid adoption and move to the cloud, right? Everyone you know there's a huge pressure the last five to ten years or momentum to move to the cloud. Um, the cloud has a lot of advantages, um, but when it comes to cyber risk and the complexities around it, it doesn't. I think there's a false perception that moving to the cloud makes you secure. Um, you know, really, the cloud is somebody else. You, you know, somebody else is running your 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 compute for you. It's not your data center, right? Uh, but you're still responsible for protecting your data, um, and it being in somebody else's environment, there are some complexities there. Um, and, and you know, I, I think that still continues to be a challenge, right? Um, mm -hmm. A lot of the cloud security today is really focused on cyber hygiene. Right. Um, and because the adversaries are, you know, successful with, you know, uh, those kind of basic attacks. Um, right. So that, that continues to be a challenge. I think from, you know, dealing with the pandemic, um, a lot of work from home, um, zero trust architecture is, is another big buzzword that's, that's, that's going around. You know, a lot of it's really focused on the identity, um, access management, um, you know, a lot of the communication, you know, is encrypted point to point. However, there's a couple um, 
concerns that I that I have in general with zero the zero trust architecture mm -hmm. and creating some new gray space or gray area that an adversary could exploit. So for one, it really puts a lot of emphasis on endpoint security. Okay. Um, a little bit of an overemphasis. So, it, you know, in my experience and have a long history and background in endpoint cybersecurity to, to okay. go along with network. Um, you know, if chances are in a lot of environments, there is some level of compromise that already exists. So I mm -hmm. kind of call it grandfathering in, you know, um, so as, as you move to a new environment, new infrastructure, new architecture, there's some level of, of malware backdoors um, compromise that's being grandfathered into some new environment. Um, I, I see a lot of times where people don't really have rigorous processes to mitigate that um, and or account for that, you know, as they transition to a new new architecture, a new environment. So a zero trust architecture, I, I think, doesn't take fully into account some of the data that could be residing on the environment or the fact that it could be malicious data. Um, so I, I see that as a, a gray area that could be exploited um, and or some of the systems or identities or accounts could also be compromised. And I mean, in my experience, some places have trouble even counting between tens of thousands of computers on the network, let alone can tell you who has access to what information. So I, I see a lot of um, opportunity for that gray space uh, that cyber adversaries like to um, exploit. So just really can, you know, cautious and, and, you know, looking at the technology and the evolution with what the pandemic is driving faster today. Okay. Just some things that be everyone should be cognizant of. No, that's that's great. Very very detailed insights you're sharing there. What are some things you would recommend? Your experience, <laughs> you know, really covering so much government and uh, industry. What are some things you would recommend government organizations in particular do to begin to move their activity from merely reactive to more proactive threat hunting uh, cybersecurity processes? Sure. Yeah, a, a great question, Michael. I two things. One is the internal security of the government. Um, I think a very large portion of of the funding uh, that they have for internal spend on security is is really heavily focused on uh, compliance and and internal auditing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's they're trying to automate that as much as possible, but it's you know it it is a very um, you know, expensive feat and it re it's very resource intensive from a, a personnel perspective. Right. Um, I think, you know, the other aspect is, you know, at least one of the big differences I see, I see from public and private sector, um, the government is outstanding identifying problems and requirements, uh, specifically in cybersecurity mm -hmm. years ahead of anybody else. Uh, but due to acquisition, um, laws, um, constraints, the, the budget process, um, they, they don't really get to showcase their, their ability to be uh, forward thinking. Mm. So that process isn't nimble. It doesn't really keep pace with cyber adversaries. Mm. I know that's another big area they're trying to change, but, but historically I've seen the government be phenomenal in identifying these problems well ahead of industry, uh, but industry really being um, much faster to adopt and adapt to some of those challenges. Um, I think, you know, trying to speed up that acquisition procurement process, um, having some type of more flexibility in how they spend money from a cybersecurity perspective, you know, would, would be hugely helpful. So 
yeah. really a non-technical type of um, approach or solution. Um, but I, but I think that would give them some nimbleness to keep up with the adversary. Yeah. And you know, the adversary doesn't have any constraints. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. And they're and they're heavily targeting government entities too. So, it, well, you kind of um, your insights there on that that question actually kind of bled to my next question, which which is, you know, there is some unique challenges and yet some advantages of government entities in comparison to enterprises like retail, finance, healthcare, in terms of cybersecurity. You mentioned a few there. Um, what are some other maybe technical or deployment? architectural things you might think of? Yeah, I, you know, so I would say one thing that comes to mind is, you know, the last um, several years, the US government um, has been trying to create some collaboration, more um, interaction with industry, specifically critical infrastructure. So the US military and Department of Defense, um, they created uh, the whole uh, defense industrial base cybersecurity program where they share insights and cybersecurity mitigations and strategy with some of the largest uh, defense contractors, you know, to kind of shore up their supply chain. Um, you know, commercial companies, you know, we, we've seen that in the news, over some of the big uh, breaches. Mm -hmm. um, the supply chain is really a big attack vector. So the adversaries go after the, the lowest common denominator um, that, you know, has some trust relationship with a large entity that they want to get access right. to, um, whether it be financial gain or intellectual property theft. Um, so I think since significant similarities there, I think um, on the federal government side, you know, DHS, Department of Homeland Security is working with critical infrastructure on information, um, threat information sharing. Uh, I, I think, again, going back to um, one of the earlier questions around reactive to proactive cybersecurity, you know, it's kind of, hey, the government has some threat intel and some signatures that we know that are bad. Hey, to help shore up your defenses, you know, implement these signatures. I, I think I think that's great for very targeted and focused types of attacks. Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately, my, my fear is a lot of uh, organizations are overly reliant on those signatures. Yeah. Um, and they're not really thinking about how they can be proactive themselves. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't really reduce the risk as much as I, I think that we, we all hope so. Right. So trying to find things that, you know, I, I kind of use the, um, the analogy of, you know, it's great to give somebody, uh, you know, fish, they eat really well for a meal, but teaching them to fish, you know, they'll, they'll be able to eat for a lifetime, right? Yeah. So I, I kind of look at it from the reactive and proactive like that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, a, that's an excellent point. What are some key components? Um, and these can be solutions, they can be foundational pieces uh, to some of the best practices various organizations, whether government or others, you see are doing to protect their infrastructures and, and make that evolution or that transition to be more proactive in their security. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you know, um, full um, transparency, one of my jo uh, jobs um, uh, in a government role was measuring cyber readiness and, and root cause analysis. So mm -hmm. Specifically looking at something that potentially happened that was bad and w where was the breakdown in people, process, and technology. So um, I spent a lot of time studying this and yeah, I think 
you know, the, the, the biggest challenge organizations, the public and private sector have is um, how do you, how do you, there's so much compute, there's so much uh, information, so many users out there. Mm -hmm. um, all of those things generate a massive amount of event and data. How do you actually whittle that down to something that you can actually make actionable? Mm -hmm. um, you know, instead of spending 99% of my time going through false positives, how can I spend 99% of my time focusing on things that have the biggest risk and impact to the organization. Mm -hmm. um, so fundamentally, the, the ability to do triage of some event or suspicious alert, how, do, how can I triage that either automatically or so fast that I can go through a lot of that noise and, and really get to the things that have the biggest impact? Mm -hmm. So two, two things um, that I've seen is really short-circuiting the OODA loop, right? The ability to do attack um, detection, um, diagnosis or triage and response. So really whittling that down to something that's manageable for um, the physical um, or the cybersecurity staff on your team, the personnel. Mm -hmm. So making that manageable and making that process happen really quickly. So, you know, applying machine learning, automating the analytics work. And, and when an analyst, which is really the scarcest resource an organization has because they understand the business priorities of an organization or the mission. Mm -hmm. They know what systems and people and, and data is critical and they know what you know normal uh, looks like. So when when they go to triage something or they, they get some type of a battle card of, of a sp suspicious event that appears to have high risk to the organization, mm -hmm. um, having all of the information or as much information as possible that allows them to triage it rapidly is, is uber critical, right? Yes. So the faster they can get through that and get through as much workflow um, in that process, you know, really reduces adversary dwell time. Mm -hmm. So applying machine learning, being able to ideally answer several questions that they would, they would have to go ask historically. So, you know, what IPs were, um, this, you know, interacted with, um, the, the system, what files were downloaded, um, what data was transferred, right? So, um, typically, if you can get all of that information readily available in near real time, it's tremendous. Um, and then tying in, you know, um, capability like Endace, for example, for full PCAP, you know, wh what's the definitive information? What, what were the exact details? So they can actually go from, you know, um, general information insights um, and they can see this, this wealth of context be building and and actually be able to go to the ground truth of what, what exactly happened on the network, you know, soup to nuts, right? So yeah. the ability to, to collect all of that data, um, you know, one of the things I used to measure in the old days was the, the cybersecurity team was completely different than IT operations. The IT team manages the firewalls and, and routers and yeah. logs, um, DNS. So when you're trying to do a triage of an event, you may have to go to three or four different teams and get data to answer your questions, uh, sometimes that would take several days, which yeah. is, you know, impossible. So, so being able to kind of, you know, um, apply machine learning to get through the noise quicker, and then automate some of that correlation and context, um, you know, it, is is really the only way we're going to get ahead, uh, you know, yeah. in this uh, cybersecurity game. That, that's an excellent point. I, I I'm still surprised at the amount of 
segregation between NetOps and StaticOps teams and 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 now DevOps too, right? Um, and, and the lack of sharing yes. of data and tools. So that's an excellent point. Travis, one of the things I always like to to, to get in our podcast and, and get from your expertise is, you know, looking out six to 18 months, what's one thing you recommend to our listeners um, that they should, you know, keep their eye on or, or really be paying attention to um, in, in the battle for cybersecurity and network security? Yeah, I think, you know, two... Two major things. I, I guess I'll give something to look out for. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, and then just something uh, from a trend that we're observing. So um, the, the lookout thing is, you know, cybersecurity is there's a lot of um, a lot of buzzwords out there and tremendous amounts of marketing around the buzzwords, and it's really difficult for organizations, for, for you know, staff procurement folks to kind of figure out, you know, all of, you know, all of this um, the high volume of data around and marketing campaigns around different technologies um, without a whole lot of context or validation. Yes. So I, I think really trying to figure out just because um, and the, there's such a shortage of, of skilled folks in cybersecurity today mm -hmm. that it's really hard for people to get through all the noise or have the time to go through all the marketing. But there's a lot of buyer's remorse, I, I feel. Um, mm -hmm. Hey, this thing had all these claims, but it never really lived up to, to it, right? So, you know, they, they spend a lot of money on technology and it doesn't work as advertised. So I, I think that's unfortunately a thing that still occurs today. Um, and the, um, you know, the other thing as far as looking out, um, for in the future is, you know, the, um, you know, just continuing to be proactive with cybersecurity. So not being overly reliant on compliance and just checking the box. Um, so trying to be secure, look at your, your risk, your avenues of an attack, reducing your attack surface, mm -hmm. um, making sure you actually know where those gray areas are right. across people, process and technology. Right. And, and, focus on closing those gaps yeah. and most of the time in the process you'll end up being compliant mm -hmm. but i would say having more focus on that versus just you know achieving the compliance part yeah and hopefully yeah. compliance things start keeping up with the threat actors <laughs> no that's a great point i think um and i use the word or we use the word a lot agility in that conversation because yeah, that's another people point. people get stuck on their track and um, you know sometimes miss the the forest because of the trees right um, so I, I think that's a great point well Travis first of all thank you again for taking a little bit of time and sharing your tremendous insights in how better to secure networks we'd ask our listeners to tune in next time for another edition of the Endace packet forensic files for more information about Endace's network packet capture platform and our integrations with our fusion technology partners like Blue Vector, a Comcast company, please go to endace.com. Travis, again, thanks for joining. Yeah, th thank you, Michael. Uh, pl pleasure to chat with you.